you. Mark chapter 5. We're continuing discussing Mark's book. Starting with verse 21, Yeshua heals a woman who is bleeding for 12 years and brings the daughter of a leader of a synagogue back to life. Yeshua got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, probably Yair, arrived. When he saw Yeshua, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Yeshua went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Yeshua. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Rabbi Glenn, what were the social religious consequences of bleeding for 12 years? Well, I have some thoughts about Yair that I want to make sure I get in there, but to to have a chronic bleeding issue made you unclean. You would be an outcast. Not so much that anybody despised you, per se, but you were ritually unclean. You could not participate in the life of the community. You had to be isolated, separated, because of that uncleanness. So... You can understand this woman's desperation in coming to Yeshua. She wasn't even supposed to be in that crowd around that many people because she was unclean. So she took a great risk. But I think we can understand how after all those years and having spent every penny she had, she was desperate. And everybody has heard by this time about this great miracle-working rabbi, Yeshua. So she took the chance. She was ritually unclean. She couldn't go to synagogue. She certainly could not go to the temple. And really, Judaism revolves about around the temple and the sacrifices and being reconciled to God through the sacrifices and the priests. She couldn't go to the temple in that ritually unclean condition. So she was distant from God. 
besides, you know, suffering physically, being ruined financially? Uh, Rabbi Jerry, any thoughts? I think that pretty much sums up. You know, she was ostracized by society, and if she was discovered in this crowd, they would not have taken kindly to it. Why did the woman think that touching Yeshua's robe would heal her? Why his robe? Any thoughts, Rabbi Jerry? Uh, a couple. Uh, just one. What's interesting here is this seems to be something that existed in the first century, this idea of touching somebody that was considered to be a holy person. We see later on in Acts 19.12, they take handkerchiefs and aprons uh, that touch uh, the Apostle Paul and then use those to... God allows that to heal people. They touch him with these things. So there seems to be this radiating, this holiness moving from Yeshua outward that they seem to be aware of in some way. But there's more there. I can see Rabbi Glenn, I think, has some comments on that as well. Yeah, uh, thank you. Um, perhaps she had in mind the words of Malachi 4.2. Um, and perhaps in her mind, the idea of the fringes, and of course that's from Numbers chapter 15, men were required to wear fringes in the four corners of their garments. Perhaps she thought that those fringes, you know, belonging to the, this righteous holy man would bring her healing. And in her case, she was right. The robe didn't have any intrinsic power, but the one wearing it, was indeed the Holy One, the Son of Righteousness that Malachi talked about. So maybe she's thinking the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And she thought, he's righteous. I need that. Was it kosher? Was it permissible, allowable for a woman who was bleeding to touch the robe, the tzitzit, the fringes of a holy rabbi and prophet? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. She was taking a huge risk by doing this, and we see, we'll see how fearful she is later when she's discovered. Yeah, I mean, it would have been scandalous for any woman to touch a rabbi other than his own wife. It would have been scandalous. But then again, Yeshua isn't like any other rabbi. So what does this teach us about Yeshua? That he makes the unclean clean. That, you know, whereas other people will become defiled by being in contact with this woman, the reverse happens. Uh, you know, Rabbi Yeshua is not defiled, but, in a, but not only is he not defiled, but this woman becomes clean. And so this just shows you the level of holiness and power that Yeshua has more than any other rabbi that's ever lived. Amen. Uh, rabbi Glenn, what's the lesson for us? Uh, I had some other notes. Well, okay, the, the lesson for us is that, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, maybe we shouldn't wait till we're at the end of our rope <laughs> to, to come to the Lord for his help. Uh, that's something I took away from it. Both Yair and this unnamed woman with the bleeding issue were at their wit's end. Okay, they were both in a very desperate situation, and in her case, spent all of everything she had uh, to no avail. But, you know, isn't it like us to try to find every kind of earthly solution to something? And I'm guilty of this, right? We try to find every 
natural, normal way to fix a thing and only to find, gosh, you know, if I had just come to the Lord at the very beginning, maybe I could have saved myself all the headache, all the money, all the tsuris, the troubles. So um, I think the lesson is in partly let's go to the Lord first with our concerns. Secondly, the other thing I took from this is both these individuals were desperate and they took considerable risks to come publicly to Yeshua. And are you and I willing to publicly identify with Yeshua, even though it's going to cost us? In some people's eyes, we'll be religious fanatics. In other eyes, in other people's eyes, we will be seen as traitors and apostates. Are we willing to weather that disapproval to be loyal to him? So that's something else I took from this. Rabbi Jerry, what's the lesson for us? Well, in addition to all that, I think, you know, one of the main takeaways I have with this is that, you know, human beings have limits. You know, we can only talk with somebody for so long. We have a limited amount of understanding for people's problems, you know, varying as things. We're better equipped to handle some things other than others. Yeshua is equipped to handle all of our problems continuously for the entirety of our lives, right? Whereas human beings, pastors, counselors could disappoint us, friends. Yeshua never will. And he invites us to bring to him not just our physical problems, but, you know, this woman, you know, 12 years being ostracized by her community, being considered unclean, desperate. You know, you have to imagine besides her physical state, there's probably something very deeply going on emotionally, psychologically with her as well. And Yeshua was there for her, as we'll see in the story, not just to help her out physically, but he also, in a sense, helps her out emotionally and most importantly, spiritually. And so, you know, that's the reminder of Messiah Yeshua is he's not just there for, you know, when we stub our toes or we're in a crisis situation to pray to him for healing physical, but he's there for us emotionally and spiritually as well. And whereas people will fail you, God never will. Rabbi Glenn, you have some additional thoughts, including thoughts about Yair. Yeah, let's talk about this synagogue official. By this time in Yeshua's ministry, there's already organized strong opposition to him uh, by the religious establishment. Yair, whose name, it probably is Yair. Jairus is from Yair. Yair means he gives light or he enlightens from the word or. Um, Yair was probably the equivalent of the president of the local synagogue. That's a really important, prestigious position. And for him to openly come to Yeshua at a time when Yeshua is increasingly being opposed by the Jewish establishment might very well have put him in jeopardy, certainly with the other leaders in his synagogue. But his daughter was dying. In such circumstances, you do whatever it takes. And it was common knowledge that Yeshua was performing all kinds of miracles. So Yair humbled himself to come to Yeshua in broad daylight and fell to his knees, bowed down in front of Yeshua and pleaded with him for his supernatural help. I'm pretty sure Yeshua knew who Yair was. He's the president of 
the local synagogue. Uh, perhaps Yair had previously even been part of the crowd that opposed him. So Yair was an important man, but his self-importance went out the window when the well-being of his daughter was concerned. And like the woman with the bleeding issue, he threw caution to the wind and ran out and, and threw himself to the ground in front of him. To me, humanity is a lot like this woman. We are bleeding, weak, suffering, sick. The doctors can't help us. All the other experts <laughs> couldn't help this woman. Uh, she is economically impoverished far from God, unable to worship the living God at the temple, weak, sick. To me, she's a picture of humanity, alienated from God. We can't worship God the way we should. We're weak. We're sick. There's only one person that can help us, who can heal us, and that is Yeshua, uh, the great doctor the great physician, not just of our bodies, but even more importantly, of our souls. Verse 30, Yeshua realized at once that healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at the crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, Who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Rabbi Jerry, Yeshua had an awareness that healing power had gone out of him, but then he asked the crowd who was responsible for that. Any, any thoughts? A couple. You know, this is very interesting. You know, the question becomes, did Yeshua not know who touched him? You know, or is, this something, is there something deeper going on here? And I think the answer is that there's something deeper going on here. That as we're going to see... There's a, there's a lesson he wants to teach, maybe the crowd in a general sense, but really his disciples, right? Because disciples rightly say, how are you asking who touched you? You're being surrounded by people touching you. You know, how can you ask which person just touched you right now? The point is, is, you know, he makes it very deliberate so that the woman comes forward and has to publicly acknowledge what had happened. But what's interesting, and I'm curious for you guys' perspective on this, um, I'm not trying to open up a can of worms like last time here or anything, but... Um, so you, so the, it talks about in this verse that the power related to the power going out from him. So was Yeshua consciously aware that he was healing this woman or is this something happening independent of Yeshua's will, either by God, the father, or God, the Holy spirit. Interesting questions. Rabbi Glenn, any thoughts? 
I have my opinion on it. But. No, no, you're next in line. Because this has come up before when, when I, I've heard people t teach on this. And All right, so what's your opinion? You have an opinion. I always have an opinion. I don't know if it's a right opinion, but I got an opinion. <laughs> my opinion is if we believe, which I do, that the working of the healings that Yeshua is doing right now are through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit has his own will, that I do believe that the Holy Spirit acted in this moment. Yeshua immediately realized the Holy Spirit was moving, but it wasn't maybe necessarily Yeshua, you know, seeing this woman, knowing her story and acting, but the Holy Spirit knew this woman as well, saw what happened, acted, and immediately Yeshua knew. I don't believe that Yeshua had to scan the crowd to truly find this woman. I think he knew immediately after it happened who it was and what was going on. But I don't believe he himself chose to heal this woman. It was a working of the Holy Spirit. I agree that it was the working of the Holy Spirit. I don't believe that Yeshua was all-knowing, omniscient. I think that's one of the attributes of God, deity, that he gave up. You know, the kenosis passage, Philippians 2, uh, he emptied himself. He was not omniscient. He did not know everything. Only God the Father, you know, at that point, and, and the Spirit knew everything. So he might not have known who the woman was. Uh, if he had probably asked his father, father who is the person that uh, was just healed, I'm sure the father would have answered. But maybe he didn't know. I really like Rabbi Jerry's um, analysis of this um, in terms of the interrelationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that the Spirit of God, um, you know, who Yeshua is filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, yet uh, the, the Holy Spirit, while acting in concert with the will of the Father and the Son, uh, perhaps in that moment did that. I, I like that analysis. And it could go either way. It could be that Yeshua knew who she was and like God Absolutely. coming yep. into the garden and saying to Adam and Eve, where are you? Uh, he didn't do it for lack of information, but to give them the opportunity to come out and to come clean, right? Perhaps this was an opportunity for this woman to admit, you know, who she was and that, and that he had healed her. Um, it could go either way. Thought just came to me. So Yeshua is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is heading towards the home of the uh, leader of the synagogue. And something amazing, something wonderful takes place without him targeting it. It just happened. Ministry on the way. Ministry on the way. And I think that will happen to us. If we are filled with the Spirit of God and doing the tasks that God, you know, has directed us to do, unexpected, good spiritual encounters, interactions, blessings will happen along the way that we are not even, you know, responsible for. The Holy Spirit will use us to bring blessings and, and goodness into, you know, situations that we were not aware of or targeting. If I could piggyback on that, we need to be of a mindset that doesn't say, oh, I'm being interrupted again. 
right? Oh, God, I got to do this, and this person is interrupting me. We need to be of the mindset of, you know, it's hard, but and I've failed many times, but wherever we're going, Lord, who do you have for me to talk to? And, and to interpret those quote-unquote interruptions, to choose to interpret those as God, uh, God's appointments for us. I like that. Okay, so this woman who's ritually unclean dared to touch the robe. Uh, one of the other gospels says it wasn't just the robe, but the fringes, the tzitzit on the robe. And she should not have done that. You know, she could have defiled the holy rabbi and prophet. <laughs> Most of the other rabbis, if they were aware, you know, that a woman who was ritually unclean touched them, uh, if she fell down before them and confessed, I'm the one who touched you, I think most of the other rabbis or all the other rabbis would have, you horrible creature, what have you done, right? The Torah, according to the Torah, you've sinned grievously. Now I'm ritually unclean and I have to go through this whole, you know, cleansing process. Yeshua did not do that. His response to this woman was so radically different. Peace, be well, you're healed. Any thoughts, rabbis? Well, I mean, kind of just taking the whole, this part of the story together, you know, is understandable why she's frightened. Again, this is, a, this is meant to be a teaching lesson. And what's interesting, though, is, I, you know, we, I focus on the disciples in this, especially throughout this chapter of Mark. You know, so the disciples at this point have seen Yeshua heal so many different people. They saw him show complete mastery command over demons just a moment, you know, a little while ago. He calms a storm, and then... He asks, who touched me? And their response to this is to go, well, how can you know who touched you, Rabbi? Like, you know, there's a, there's a, they still don't really understand in some way who Yeshua is. Like, you know, they've seen him do all this stuff. Oh, okay, yeah, but, okay, yeah, he could cast out demons, but he's not going to know who touched him. You know, you think that that would be an easier miracle or thing to know than showing command over Satan and the forces of darkness, but still they have this, this ignorance about uh, who he is, and this becomes a whole teaching lesson for them and for this woman, where she is now forced to publicly acknowledge her faith. So is there any way that we are like the disciples? Ignorant? Absolutely. We are just like them. This woman believed that if she only was able to touch the robe of this holy man of God, she would be healed. She had faith. She touched the robe. She is healed. There is a connection between faith and miracle, faith and healing. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, you know, on some occasions, there were some occasions that we have recorded in the gospel where Yeshua questioned those whom he encountered, and he would say something to the effect of, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And I recall that one man who came to him about his son, and again, it was a desperate situation, said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So we are very much like the disciples, 
who were ignorant. We are very much like these people uh, left to desperation, often coming to the Lord as a last resort instead of as our first inclination. Um, on the one hand, why would Messiah perform miracles for those who disbelieve in his authority to do it? Why would he do that? Yet God is gracious. As we read through the scriptures, how often did he do for an individual, for the nation, uh, think good things that we absolutely didn't deserve? So God is gracious, but there is a relationship between believing that Yeshua is the Messiah sent from God, empowered by God to perform miracles, and whether or not you get your miracle. Not as a formula, but in a general sense, he did not waste time or his, uh, his uh, powers. Faith and miracle, faith and healing are connected. Could God heal someone who has absolutely no faith if God wants to heal someone who has no faith? Absolutely. Okay. Can God not heal someone who has faith and is asking to be healed, either themselves for themselves or someone else? Absolutely. To say that God can't. Oh, you say he can't or won't. Yeah, can't there's implies that. Yeah, there's a Yeah, I thought you. Uh, okay, so my question is. A lot of us have faith. Most of us are, I would consider most of us to be real believers. We have faith. We know Yeshua is now omnipotent. He can do anything. He's at the right hand of God. We believe in God the Father. We know that God the Father can do anything, right? If he can create the universe and resurrect his son, he can heal me of, you know, COVID pneumonia, right? We, have, we believe that. And we pray. Will God always answer our prayers for healing, for miracle, the way we believe, the way we're asking? Will he always say yes? He won't always say yes. It doesn't change his gracious nature. It doesn't change his kindness, his chesed for us. But the difference is, he knows the end from the beginning. All we know is the moment we're in. And so if the answer is no to our request for a healing, a miracle, uh, whatever it is, uh, he's not being ungracious. He's not lacking in chesed. But he knows that if we go through this thing rather than around it, uh, there are purposes in the midst of it and at the end of it. Just to, add on, <clears throat> just to add on to that and then kind of go back to the past as well. I think, you know, we have to remember that God has his own will. His will is higher than our will and is better than our will. And so this is where real pride becomes an issue as human beings is we like to think that if God just came down from heaven and we could sit around a kitchen table with him with a cup of coffee and ask him all the questions about his plan and our lives and why he healed this person and didn't do this, why this happened to us when we were kids and other people had different lives, that we would be able to understand the answers and have peace about it. The problem with that kind of thinking is that it assumes that you can understand the mind of God. And Scripture makes this very clear, whether it's in the New Testament with Paul, Job especially, right, is that even with resurrected bodies, we'll be able to understand more of God's will and mind 
but we are not God and we never will be. And so part of faith is understanding and trusting in God's nature and his goodness, but also acknowledging our limited understanding that even if God were to sit down with us and explain things to understand that we really don't have the capacity to understand. To truly, we, we can't even understand the universe we're in right now. Every time we peel back a layer of the onion of physics and chemistry, we see a new level of complexity and engineering behind it. You know, we have to use math to try to conceptualize things that our brains just can't wrap their mind around. But going back to this passage, what's interesting to me is the implication is that there were other people who were brushing up against Yeshua, right, by the disciples' words because of how pressed this crowd is. And yet, None of them experienced a healing like this woman did. Why? Yeshua tells us why. It's because of her faith. And so her faith was what healed her because she had faith in Yeshua. God chose to act in that moment. It's not a promise that if we have faith, that we'll always be healed. But it shows us that God does, in this case, he responded to her faith that the other people didn't have. But not only was she, but her intention was she believed in Yeshua. She believed that if she touched him, she would be healed. And that was her belief. And she touched him and she was healed. And she would have been happy just scurrying away from the back of that crowd, nobody knowing about it. But he requires of her to publicly acknowledge what happened, which allows her a chance to demonstrate her faith publicly, which is the call of all true believers and disciples. But not only that, he relates to her, right? He says, you know, your, you, your faith is what healed you. He reinforces why this has happened. And he tells her to go in peace, shalom. He says, you know, completeness, wholeness, peace be with you, right? He's publicly, as this amazing rabbi, taking time to publicly acknowledge this woman who most likely feels alienated from everybody around her, especially the religious leadership of her day. And so not only is this a chance for her to demonstrate her faith, but it's a chance for Yeshua to personally relate to this woman. It's a really powerful moment. I think there's a lesson for us here of God isn't just the, you know, answering machine for our prayers, right? You know, we call him up and we get what we want, right? Like some sort of weird slot machine. But God is there for us to have a personal relationship and encounter with him similar to this woman where not only do we receive blessing and maybe healing, especially spiritual healing, but that he sees us and acknowledges us in our brokenness, and that's part of the good news that you can't find in a, a, a psych place or in Islam or in any other faith or traditional Judaism as well. Well said. Wow, love that the, was a that. great drasha. Sorry. No, don't, no, don't that was... Don't apologize. Don't, that was very good. Verse 35, while he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Yair, the leader of the synagogue, they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the rabbi now. But Yeshua overheard them and said to Yair, don't be afraid. Just have faith. There's that word again, that idea, faith. All right, so, you know, I watch uh, movies and, you know, I've seen several movies. Just have faith. Not faith in God, not faith in Yeshua, but like, just have faith. It's like a catchphrase, right? If you just have faith. But faith has an object. Faith needs to be directed to the object, the proper object of faith. God the Father, God the Son. 
Just have faith. Any thoughts? It was necessary to have faith in him, in Yeshua, that he was the Messiah sent by God and that he had the authority to heal, even to raise the dead. Yair had just witnessed one amazing miracle. He needed to keep on believing, right? Yeah, I, I, I heard what you heard. Believe, just believe, right? In Yeshua, in his authority to do this. And it had taken a measure of faith for Yair to come to him in the first place uh, and to humble himself in front of him. So I get the sense that Messiah is basically saying, don't give up now. Keep believing. Just very briefly, again, we see faith versus fear here. And we see that according, you know, that there was a measure of faith. These messengers, Yair, believe that Yeshua can heal somebody who's sick, but they think that that's where his power ends. They think, okay, now that she's dead, there's no hope, right? He has power maybe to heal the living, but to resurrect the dead, as we've talked about before, is something very rare in Jewish history. And Yeshua is saying, no, you know, don't, don't think that my power ends there. Have faith that even in this extreme terrible situation, I can still work. Then Yeshua stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Uh, Rabbi Glenn, why did Yeshua stop this huge crowd that was following and only let Peter, James, and John come with him? Well, my take on it was that there were certain occasions when only that inner circle of the three closest disciples of Yeshua were permitted to be with him. One of those was at his transfiguration, uh, where they beheld Yeshua in greater glory, and they were told to remain silent about it until after his resurrection. Well, now he's about to raise this young girl from the dead, if the crowd is allowed to see it, it's going to probably raise such a fever pitch of messianic expectation and probably rile people up against Rome. And Yeshua was always uh, very conscious about when his time was and when his time wasn't. And this wasn't yet the time to have that ultimate showdown with the Jewish religious leaders. And if the whole crowd sees this resurrection from the dead, um, it would probably have preempted the timing, and Yeshua wasn't going to accede to anybody else's time. It was going to be on his time frame. Yep. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Yeshua saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And of course, that's just a uh, metaphor. Asleep means, you know, she's not dead, not fully dead. She is only, you know, it's more like uh, waking up from a nap. She's not really dead. The crowd laughed at him. But he made them all leave. 
And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Yeshua gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Rabbi Jerry, why did he make the crowd leave? They had no faith. And again, you know, he, this is something of an amazing miracle. It's something private. He's not just, he's not a magic performer, right? He's not, this isn't a show. This isn't for people who refuse to believe. And he made that comment very deliberately, knowing that they would react that way. And then he kicked them out. Well, they were mocking him. It is possible that many in that crowd were actually paid mourners. I don't know how much it goes on today, but at that time in Israel, uh, a family, particularly a family of some importance, and again, this is the president of the synagogue, could actually afford to pay and other people would come and mourn. And the, the bigger the crowd of mourners, the more prestige uh, it showed that the family had, just like at a wedding, if you got some important rabbi, you know, uh, come, a couple of rabbis come to your wedding. The more prominent rabbis at your wedding, the more uh, kavod, the more gravitas, as it were, your family has. There was a professional cast of mourners at that time. And I tend to think that that quick, that light switch flip from wailing to derisive laughter shows a real lack of actual feeling and emotion. So I'm guessing that, and it, it's just my surmising, that many in that crowd that were there were paid mourners, and they really didn't have any emotional connection with this family. And so they're un unworthy to witness this. They did not have much faith, and faith in miracle, faith in healing are connected, so why you know, do this in front of a group of people who are, like, lacking faith. But there's also certain things that should just be done in private with as few people as possible. I was talking to a person recently, and um, she said, um, do you ever pray for people to be healed? You know, I don't see it ever happening, you know, Saturdays during the service. And I said, yeah. We do. The elders will pray for people, we'll lay hands on them, we'll anoint them with oil, but we don't like to do it in front of everybody. It's just a more private, personal thing. Not everyone wants their issues, you know, uh, dealt with in front of the whole community. But we do do it, of course. I find it so interesting that um, Yeshua sends the crowds um, away. And then he told them uh, not to tell anyone what happened. Contrast that to today's so-called miracle workers, today's so-called prophets and apostles, 
who cannot wait to call attention to the great healing power that God is moving through them on, on their miracles. And I am very skeptical of their miracles. In contrast, Yeshua really did an incredible miracle here. There's only a three, two, three, four times in the entire history of the chosen people when someone was raised back to life, maybe three or four times. And so Yeshua doesn't say, wow, look at me. Look at my ministry. Um, where is the donation bag? Let's pass that around. We got to have more of this taking, need more financial support. What a contrast. Private, intimate, faith. Any thoughts? Just I guess some final thoughts about this. You know, this obviously wasn't a common occurrence. I think it's interesting that he says to her, little girl, get up. I think this is intentional by him. You know, in this time period, people put a lot of stock into <laughs> magical formulas and sort of magical thinking and that you had to do things this particular way to get God to respond to you. We see that sometimes today. I talk about this often, but, you know, there's people who think, like, if you pray in Hebrew, God is more likely to hear your prayers. Or if you do it publicly, God is more likely to respond to you. All this sort of, like, gaming the system nonsense. What do we see here? Messiah works through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, little girl, get up. A very generic sort of phrase. And it shows that he has, that their faith was not misplaced. He has the power over death itself. She wakes up. She gets food, which shows that she's alive. She isn't a ghost or a spirit. She's eating food. She really is alive. And it just shows Yeshua's complete power and mastery and how different he is from everybody else who's ever lived. I like the fact that he told them to give her something to eat. He's not only incredibly spiritual and connected to the heavenly, he's also very practical. He tells the woman who had just, you know, been healed, go in peace. You know, you're in a state of peace now with God and people. And he's reassuring this woman who's been alienated and comforting her. That's very practical. She really, I'm sure, appreciated, you know, that word to her after she was healed and he's doing the same thing with this little girl. You know, she's just been through an ordeal. She's 12 years old. Let's get back to normal life. You know, let's feed, feed this girl. She needs something to eat. Yeshua was, was very practical, very down to earth, also very heavenly. Rabbi Glenn. It's a Jewish story. Food <laughs> has to be involved. Um. You know, she had probably been sick for some time. I mean, it just makes sense. She would need nourishment. Yeah, very practical. Um, in terms of uh, bringing back to life the daughter of the leader of the synagogue, uh, what it teaches us about Yeshua, uh, three things. He's full of kindness. He is wise and discerning. And he has authority over life and death. And, uh, and then, you know, so it teaches us things about Yeshua, teaches us things about ourselves. He is the one in whom we can confidently 
put our trust. He is the one that we can confidently uh, lay our burdens in front of. He is the one who will help us. To me, the lesson of this story is that humanity is a lot like this little girl, just like humanity is like the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. We are young, immature, sick, in many ways dead, dead in our rebellions and sins, headed towards death. Mot tamud, dying, they will die, they will surely die. Mohammed cannot bring anyone back to life. Einstein, Freud, science, technology. Death is our great enemy. There is only one person who can bring humanity back to life. That is Rabbi Yeshua. You better know him. You better have faith in him. You better follow him as hard as you can. In Revelation chapter 1, he says, I have the keys of death, right? I, he has them. He has the victory. By the way, real quick before I forget, how many years had the woman had that bleeding issue? How old was the little girl? How interesting that for the entire life of that young girl, that woman had had that sickness and was healed on the day that that girl, also 12, was raised from the dead. Um, they didn't, you know, I, I believe the Holy Spirit inspired Mark not just to write about these things, but including some of those details. They're not, it, I don't think it's incidental that the girl was 12 years old, the woman had been suffering all of those 12 years, and they got their miracle on the same day. Makes you wonder if they ever got to know each other uh, and, and rejoice about that. There are no coincidences. Thank you, Rabbi Glenn. Thank you, Rabbi Jerry.